get into our report. Seth, come along if you would please. And uh, Mike, you can join me up here for a minute. And um, anyone else who may have been on that trip is here tonight. There's a team of us, I think seven of us, that uh, went, uh, spent a week together in Zimbabwe and Botswana. And uh, so I've asked Seth to put together some of the photographs and videos. I'm going to walk you through our trip. Now, at the conclusion, I'm going to save some of it for the conclu- conclusion of the meeting, because there are some things I want to talk to you about, not on the live stream. So we'll show a few things, and the folks in the live stream can partake in it, but then I want to share a few extra things after, um, so you can pray more specifically about after the meeting tonight. But um, I want to share our trip with you, and then I've, I've got a message I want to share, I believe that go- coincides with this. Let me just, in fact, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 16, I'll give you a verse to begin thinking about, and then we'll return to it here in just a moment. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is concluding his first letter to the Corinthian church, and um, he is meant to be coming to them, but he's telling them that he's not yet coming. Tell them to wait a little bit, because God had opened a door in Ephesus. And so in 1 Corinthians 16, let me read a couple of verses with you. And um, we'll begin in verse number 5. Now I will come to you, I will come unto you, when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, in winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. That ninth verse, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And there are many adversaries. We'll return to that in just a moment. Let me tell you a little bit about this. Sometimes people say, what are you doing? You know, running all over the place like a chicken with his head cut off. Netherlands here and Kenya there and Zimbabwe and what's this, New Zealand? You know, some people think I have the life and I'm just on holiday all the time. And some people really don't have a clue. But we don't just decide we're going to go on a trip. I want you to know that. Never have we woke up one day and said, you know what? I think it sounds nice to go to Zimbabwe. We haven't done that. But we do our best to listen to the prodding of the Lord, the moving of God's spirit, and the opening of doors. You've heard me say this a number of times. I'm going to tell it to you again. But my only brother died eight years ago. I was 30 years old when he died. He was 32. And I can remember I was asked to take his funeral. I flew home uh, to preach his funeral. On the way back from America, back home here, Um, I was on the plane and I began thinking to myself, uh, what if I die when I'm 32? I was 30 at the time. And I thought, my brother only lived to be 32 years old. If I die at the age of 32, I, I only have two years left. And I told the Lord on that airplane on my way home that if he would help me, I would take every opportunity that he gave me. That I wouldn't miss anymore. It was like a screen was playing in my mind on the way back somewhere between America and the United Kingdom, somewhere over the Atlantic. The screen was going through my mind of all the opportunities that I'd missed, all the things I should have done that I didn't do. 
all the time I had wasted as I was thinking about the reality of my own death. And I said to the Lord through many tears that if he would help me, I would, wouldn't miss a single opportunity. And I've tried to do that. I've tried to honor that commitment to the Lord. I haven't, of course, I'm not perfect and I have failed on a number of occasions. But that's why I do what I do. That's why I don't rest. I don't stop. I rest when I need to rest. And we do take holidays. Don't worry. But that's why I push myself. Because I told the Lord that I would take every opportunity he put in front of me. Every once in a while, somebody says to me, how come you got that opportunity? And I said, I don't know. Maybe it's because the Lord knew I would take it. And I've had a few people ask me, well, how come, how come you got to go to the Netherlands and speak in that school? I was asked a few years ago to speak on the BBC program, The Big Question. How come you got that opportunity? Some local minister said to me, I said, I don't know. But I do think that the more we say yes to God, the more we are obedient to him, then the more doors he opens. And so I'm committed to the day I die or Jesus returns to at least walk through doors that look like they're being opened by God. Now, I've tried many doors that God has shut, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not too proud to, uh, to walk back out of a door. I'm not too proud to change direction if the door doesn't open. I don't kick doors down, but if the Lord opens a door, we try to walk through it. This is how we ended up here. Two years ago, uh, Gavin and Marjorie Blair were stuck in lockdown in Botswana. Gavin was a total atheist, evolutionist. Marjorie was raised in an old-school Pentecostal church up until the, about the age of 12 years old, and she turned around and left it, turned her back on the things of God. And they were in a very broken place. Lockdown was very intense there in Botswana, roadblocks, police roadblocks. You couldn't leave your house. I think he left, he, or Gavin told me he left the flat two or three times in the space of three or four months. Think about that. And things were very bad. Finally, he was able to get Marjorie back to the United Kingdom. She holds a British passport. She was born and raised here. She was in need of much help. And finally, he was able to get her back home. But that meant he was left by himself. And Marjorie was here in England, separated from her husband. And um, a devastating time. She began to feel her way back to God. God began to bring her back to himself. She had a nephew who was sending her Bible studies, devotionals. And pretty soon her nephew began to send her our live streams. Uh, consequently, she sent them on the Gavin. Gavin was watching daily devotional thoughts and our live stream services. He'd hold his stand for hours. He'd stand for three or four hours in the corner of his flat just to get enough signal to download one service from the live stream. But it was during that very dark time that Gavin was born again in his little flat in Botswana. Now, they've given decades to be, being some of the world's best safari guides. I don't say that lightly or an exaggeration. They had a very special niche in their safari company and business. They gave private safaris. Uh, Gavin's a very humble man. Both of them are very humble. We had to pull a lot of things out of him on this trip. But we found out that he actually gave the Knight Rider, David, David Hasselhoff, a private safari tour. And many people liked that. That's the kind of work that he did. 
He was very embarrassed by it. The only reason we found out is because he had a Knight Rider belt on, which he was embarrassed to be wearing. And uh, I said, Gavin, what's your belt say? And he hung his head in embarrassment. He's probably, he's watching now. He's probably embarrassed that I'm sharing the story. But uh, the man is a celebrity there. Gavin Blair, as humble as he is, you all know him. Everywhere we went, oh, Mr. Blair, Mr. Blair, everywhere we went. It was, we could, we could get into anywhere because of Mr. Blair. And uh, Marjorie is the same. And obviously she was here during our trip, but the two of them, and he, it was amazing to travel with Gavin. He knew everything about every insect and every bird. And it was a biology lesson everywhere we went. And he would break down in tears. I remember one time he was giving us a tour down the Chobe River in Botswana. And he broke down in tears. And he said, for decades, I've told people about all of this. All of this beautiful creation. And I've only just now met the creator of it all. And he was, he was grieving that he had seen this for decades and never known the God of it all. I said to him, Gavin, God's timing is perfect. God has prepared you and Marjorie these many, many years for such a time as this. And this opportunity that you're about to see is because God in his mercy reached down and saved Gavin and brought Marjorie to himself. And now because they've surrendered their lives to the Lord, they want to give as much as they possibly can back to God. And you're going to see a little bit of that. Gavin, because he has such, Gavin and Marjorie have such an acute mind for planning these oftentimes three or four week long safaris. He planned our trip for us. He planned the moments when we would breathe, inhale and exhale. And, and uh, he planned every second of every day. It was remarkable. And we squeezed as much out of this trip as we possibly could. You're going to see a little glimpse of it. And I hope, I trust it will be an encouragement to you. I've asked Seth to, um, we'll walk through it and I'll talk. This is the team that went. Peter, many of you know, is, um, is one of our crown hall. Eli Beck, many of you know, that's uh, Giles and Suzanne's oldest son. You know that good-looking chap there next. Micah, uh, that's Pastor Jonathan McClure with the glasses there. He pastors the church in Brighton. Many of you know him. He worked with us here in Oxford for a couple of years before taking the work there in Quainton and then in Brighton. Then there's Pastor Levi Mullins. He's pastoring the work at Beaches Road Baptist Chapel. And you know that fellow on the end there, Mr. Eisen. Okay, this is us. And uh, this is the property that we, this is Gavin and Marjorie's property in uh, Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe. How many of you have ever been to Zimbabwe before? Would you raise your hand? A couple of folks. Um, Victoria Falls, Victoria Falls itself, the city is named after the waterfalls, which was named by the great missionary and, and explorer David Livingston. And Victoria Falls is one of the seven wonders of the world. There's nothing like it in the world. So Victoria Falls as a city that just, just obtained city status is very much a touristy era, area. And uh, so Gavin's, one of Gavin's headquarters and bases was in Victoria Falls. So this is his property there. Go ahead, Seth. And, um, we, the first day we got there, we went to meet one pastor. This is Pastor Max. And, uh, there on the right in the gray shirt. And he runs a very special ministry. This is a church you can see constructed in his back garden and a tin roof. But he runs a special ministry through his church where he cares for the disabled of Victoria Falls. Zimbabwe is a very poor country. By the way, it's not always been a very poor country. 
naturally, it's got a lot of natural resources, a lot of, a lot of things to offer the world, but because of a lot of corruption and difficulty of the government, um, I kept hearing this phrase while we were there, the brain drain, where a lot of people who are skilled and qualified have left the country because of some government problems and, and uh, therefore the country's hurting. But anyways, uh, this pastor has a heart for the disabled and, uh, he, he, we, our first meeting was there to meet some of these dear people. Um, and some of them, uh, don't have wheelchairs. Some of them are blind. I mean, it's, it's, if it's a very poor country in one regards and therefore it's very challenging for these kind of people. So we met some of these dear folks that first night and gave us an opportunity. Then we came back. Uh, later that evening, and Gavin had arranged for us to meet a, a number of local businessmen um, from the Victoria Falls area, uh, just to talk with them. Uh, many of them are Christians. I think all of them are Christians, but one, and um, one of them is a world-famous artist who, who who became internationally acclaimed because of his uh, paintings of the Victoria Falls uh, surroundings. So he's uh, a well-known uh, painter, but we talked with these people about uh, the Lord's work in Victoria Falls and um, Zimbabwe, a very, very insightful meeting. Um, they were asking us, they were giving us some good advice. So that was a profitable meeting to meet these men. We met one pastor who comes down once a month from Harare, which is the capital, and he holds a service once a month there. But besides that, it's very hard to find an actually a solid evangelical church in Victoria Falls. Not a missionary, not a church planter. I'm not saying they need that. Um, a lot of churches, but I don't know of any in our limited amount of time um, that were what we would uh, consider evangelical. So we met this one pastor who comes down once a month, and that was insightful as well. Some dear friends here. The next day, this day too, is that right? Seth? I like that word day. That's good. <laughs> uh, Gavin had organized for us to meet with a load of local ministers. So that's what you have here. Uh, these are all a load of local pastors from the Victoria Falls area from many different denominations. We met in a Salvation Army church. There were some of the instruments there. And um, you had anything from Salvation Army ministers to Pentecostal ministers, Seventh-day Adventists, anything imaginable. And we talked for, oh, I don't know how long, an hour or two. Um, with these men, just asking them, tell us about ministry in Victoria Falls. Nearly every one of them said this. None of us have had any proper Bible training. Now you think for a moment. Here are people doing their best. Try to preach and teach the word. And they haven't really been taught much themselves. Now, in some ways, that's good. You don't have to undo some of the false teaching that they may have received at some Bible college or seminary. But that's something that really struck us at our time in, in Victoria Falls is that, and they were asking us, is there material, is there, is there Bible training material that we could have or we could use? And Bibles are very hard to come by. We were one of our most blessed uh, moments, I'm sure it'll be on here in a moment, is we were meeting with one minister who probably we felt the closest to uh, theologically. And he had been trained by American missionaries 30 or 40 years ago. But we asked him about Bibles. There's a number of different languages in Zimbabwe. Three main, main languages, I think. The Shona language, uh, the Debeli language, and the Namibia or something like that. Uh, and English is kind of the trade language. Most people speak English um, relatively well. But we asked him about the Bible. He pulled a Bible off a shelf 
put it down in front of us. We opened the front cover. There it was, published and printed by the Trinitarian Bible Society. So we were greatly blessed. A faithful translation and uh, one of the most prominent languages in this area, which is the, the belly uh, language. So that was encouraging to find out. Um, but anyways, uh, here's a group of men and a lady. Don't really know uh, where, where her position was. But anyways, she was there. Very encouraging. Very insightful to talk about. This man here uh, runs a non-profit organization at, with his ministry where he's trying to help develop some villages and things as well as preach the gospel. That was insightful. So a lot of practical things. One man said to us, you remember what the one man said? Three things that they needed. Discipleship, evangelism, and training. Now, nearly all of them said, look, we don't need handouts. That was encouraging to hear. We don't need handouts. And they, many of them use the illustration, you can give us fish or you can teach us how to fish. And so we don't need handouts, although it's a very poor country. He said, but we, one man said, what we need the most, evangelism, discipleship, and training. That was encouraging. Thank you. Uh, now, this, I think the same day, we went from that pastor's meeting to a local village. Now, this was about a 30-minute drive out of the city, and they were greeting us with sort of traditional welcome to their village. And before we could get into this little uh, settlement, development, they greeted us with song, clapping of hands. And um, this was, this. We were, I was walking with this gentleman, he's a farmer, he reminded me so much of my grandfather, hardworking, wiry, you could tell a man who'd been in the fields, his hands were like leather, but we were walking and the man just came up and grabbed me by the hand, and we walked together in, in the village, we'd met him on the road, we picked him up on the road, and he's farming peanuts, um, but they lived traditionally out in the villages in little huts like this. And made from the land. They make the bricks from the land themselves. And um, r really remarkable. But anyways, they welcomed us in. Um, and this was the village head or the village chief. And he was happy about his little badge that told us that as well. And um, they fed us. They killed a goat for us, a few chickens. And this was some sort of, what do you call this? No, was that millet? Millet, some sort of like light corn mashed up together. You eat it. Saz. That's right, sazda, something like that. You eat everything with your hands. So there we were stuck in it. We prayed that we wouldn't get some sort of stomach intestinal bug. But anyways, and they gave us milk. Milk is a is a commodity. You know, I went to about twelve gro uh, grocery stores looking for a ice cold jug of milk. They don't do it. You can't do it. So, but what they did have for us was some fresh cow's milk that was a bit lumpy, but that's okay. And there it was on the plate. They gave us the best. It was incredible. Gave us their best. And prepared a meal for us. Go ahead, uh, Seth. And we were able, we brought some toys and Bibles and things. And Micah was able to give these are glow sticks. And the children didn't quite understand. Wait till nighttime before you break them and put them on. But that's okay. So they had their glow sticks. We were able to give Bibles and some things like that. And then they let me preach. Um, go back one, one slide there. This gentleman is um, the, the older gentleman who grabbed me by the hand. That's his son. This was his settlement that we were staying on. Now, when they say village, in our minds, I think of a tiny little area with about 15, 20 houses. When they say village, they really mean like county. They mean 167 different settlements. And so they had announced probably that morning that we were coming. 
And so people came from all over walking. Some of them took two hours to walk to this one, one particular plot where we met, had lunch, and we were able to preach to them. Go ahead. Um, uh, and and they, they allowed me to preach the gospel. They listened attentively. They sat and listened. Um, I preached Pastor Max, the gentleman who has the church in um, Victoria Falls who works with the disabled. He came and translated for me. Um, that was a privilege. Some of the children there at the village. Uh, this was then later that night. We went back to Pastor Max's church. Um, by the way, uh, do you have any photos of the the well system, the water system? If so, we'll come to that, come to that later. No problem. Um, anyways, water, by the way, is running water is not not a luxury like we have. Many of them have to walk miles just to get running water. They go to wherever a borehole has been drilled. There was one particular borehole near to that village that we were at, and they had put a solar panel on the top, which would run the pump so they could draw water. But one of the problems they face is that elephants smell water. And so elephants oftentimes smell water, rip the hoses out so they can get a drink of water, and then there their borehole is uh, of none effect. So they battle all of these things, nature and and, and walking for miles, bring buckets, women buckets on their heads, sometimes mules uh, pulling a cart with buckets. Uh, we don't have any idea what, how blessed we are here. And you really don't get a grasp of that until you visit a place like this. Back in Pastor Max's church, this is his congregation. He asked all four of us to preach, myself, Seth, Levi, and Jonathan. They were very patient. And we each gave about a 15, 20-minute sermon and uh, really sensed the Lord's presence. Uh, Seth noticed some children outside while we were having our meeting. So he went outside, took Micah with him and Peter and Eli and began a children's program. And so while we were in there preaching, they were out here working with the children, teaching them some games, memory verses and things like that. And uh, Micah became, quickly became very popular. He enjoyed that. And uh, this is back on um, Gavin and Marjorie's property in Victoria Falls. And uh, this is a, a man who helps look after the property. His name is Anxious. And I, very happy, smiling. I said, you don't look anxious to me. And uh, he said, I don't know what my mother was thinking, but anxious is his name. And his wife is called Marvelous. What a good name. So we were constantly singing to her, Marvelous Grace of our loving Lord. But lovely family. I was laying on a hammock uh, one afternoon. I had about a three or four minute break before we were off to our next thing. And this little chap, is this the fellow called Grace? This little chap just came running up and jumped on top of me. And laid with me there on the hammock. But these are a precious family. They help look after the property there. Is this the same day? Next day. Next day, I think. Uh, now, Gavin, I'm telling you, here's what he did. Gavin would have never been able to organize this trip had he been saved for 10 or 15 years. And I'll tell you why. The longer you and I are saved, the more we develop in our mind, sometimes good, we develop in our mind some walls. And we say, that's wrong and this is right and those people are wrong and we'll still steer clear of those people well gavin's only been saved not very long at all and hasn't really been in our local fellowship as much as he'd like because he lives hours away and so he's very new to the faith and so gavin organized meetings with every so-called christian church possible catholics zionists seventh everyone you can imagine now he didn't realize that was providential to meet people of any de denomination, even some who, who we believe don't even have the gospel right, just to listen to them and see what the spiritual climate is. 
And so he organized a meeting with this group of ministers who were called uh, Zionists and some other, and they have some strange, one of the problems, there's two major problems with Christianity that we found out in Zimbabwe. One, uh, the prosperity gospel. Now that's unfortunately been brought over from America. And uh, somebody once said some of the best things have come out of America and some of the worst things have come out of America. And uh, unfortunately, prosperity gospel is, is running rampant all through Africa and Zimbabwe is no exception. But another problem with Christianity, another challenge with Christianity in Zimbabwe is a lot of ancestral worship and tradition that has been mixed into Christianity. And so you have people who call themselves Christians, say they believe in the Lord Jesus, but then they mix in some of their old previous traditions. And um, very interesting. So this is, this is a group of uh, churches that met together, called this meeting. They meet under trees, worship under trees, way out in the middle of nowhere like this. This is on the edge of Victoria Falls, beautiful setting, and uh, people walked again for miles just to come to be with us, and uh, this was very interesting. They allowed all four of us to preach here as well. While Jonathan was preaching, just across the field a little ways, there's a slaughterhouse. Well, not really a house, but where men slaughter in the field. Jonathan was preaching, and there, there went a pig being slaughtered. You can imagine the sound of that. Jonathan's preaching, and a little piggy squealing at the top of his lungs. And uh, Jonathan and everybody else was looking kind of strange. And then I got up to preach. I preached the last of the four men. And a herd of goats were set free right behind me. Their cow bells, goat bells ringing and everything as they ran past me. And everybody's watching the goats. And I said, I said, look here for a moment. Did you know on judgment day, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats? And there's a lot of goats in the world today. And everybody sat up straight. And a, a real natural opportunity. Afterwards, the pastor, one of the ministers, this man here, a lovely man, he said to me, he said, we don't know how to preach. Let me just say, we don't know how to preach. And I said to him, well, l- learn Jesus. Learn the way Jesus taught. He looked for things. He said, what you did with the goats was unbelievable. I didn't know. I was embarrassed about the goats. I said, but the Lord Jesus used what was ever around to make an application or an illustration. Here's a group of folks that we met with that day. Um, afterwards, and went with that, that pastor took us to another village. And uh, here, back next next one, there's Peter talking. Oh, go back up to that one. There's Peter talking to some teenagers. And some of these teenagers were just wandering through this park. And some of them were a part of the, with the Mormon church. And uh, they said, we're, I'm, I go to the Mormon church. What's the difference? Now, Peter was, if you remember, was raised in a Mormon church. Now, I'll talk about the providence of God. It's just not that bad, one young man said, is it? And Peter said, well, actually, I used to be a part of the Mormon church. I was able to explain to them the truth of the gospel. And the young men went away with a Bible in their hand, rejoicing to hear the gospel. That was providential. This was a village we went to after that morning meeting. And these ladies, these people, men were, you'll notice the men were sitting here. Ladies sat on the ground. Were sat for almost two hours waiting for us. This is their church. I don't feel so bad. They meet under a tent like we do. This is their church, and they allowed all four of us to preach. And this gentleman, this gentleman translated for us. Now, this is amazing. While I was preaching, that gentleman stopped, and he said, I've got goosebumps. And uh, he was being convicted as he was translating the preaching for us. Remarkable. That's Jonathan McClure preaching there. Now, uh, one, that same pastor, back up there a little bit, Seth. This same pastor uh, who, was, who organized a meeting under the tree at the last place, when we first got there, he said, come here, come here, men, come here. Look at all these children. Who's going to reach these children? Now, there's a man who had a burden for children. 
the first man I met on the trip who had a real burden for children. Everybody else would let the children play outside and do their thing while the adults did theirs. So Seth took Eli and, and, uh, and, um, what's his name? Peter and Micah took all these children down like the Pied Piper. There they went down the pathway, all the children following behind them. And they began singing with them. And, and it was, you could hear the children singing at the top of their lungs. It's probably from here to, to the back of the property over there. And every once in a while, I noticed the mothers looking over and the biggest smile on their faces that somebody had taken in, an interest in their children. Very special. Afterwards, we were leaving that village and uh, my children, we, my wife and I said, okay, children, before we left on this trip, um, I said, you have too many toys. And many of those people in Africa don't have anything. So all my girls gathered up all their Lego, bagged up all their Legos and tied them in little baggies. And the boys bagged up some of theirs. And, and uh, we got here, we handed out packets of Lego and whatever else we had brought. Hadley had given some shoes and different things like that. And, and you would have thought it was uh, Christmas. Well, it is the Christmas season, but uh, they were just over the moon about it. And some of the adults were trying to get Legos as well. I've never seen anything like it before. So, And there's uh, Eli passing out some sweets as well. But uh, that was a remarkable time. On the way back, we stopped here overlooking um, the gorge. And that's the Zambezi River that runs just in the bottom. You can see a little bit of it there running the bottom of the gorge. And this is actually the place where if you go whitewater rafting, after the 19 rapids, you stop here and have to hike up about 47 miles up that mountain. We know because we did it. And nearly had a heart attack doing it. But we just stopped there for a beautiful picture. Now, this is Botswana. Now, uh, one hour from Victoria Falls, you can get to the border of Zimbabwe and Botswana. And God has, I'm telling you, I'll say more about this at the end of the meeting when the live stream is off. But God has opened a door for us both in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe, which is a world-renowned city because of the falls. And he's opened a door for us in Kasani, Botswana. Now, Kasani, Botswana is a city where four countries meet. It's where Zimbabwe, Botswana, Zambia, and Namibia meet together in the corner of Botswana. And they've just built a massive bridge that unites, easy to get across. And it is a center of, uh, of trucking, shipping industry. It is a, it is a hub. And Botswana is a totally different world than, than Zimbabwe. It's a prosperous nation, a sound government, stable government. They got their act together really doing well. So it's like night and day. You drive over the border. And uh, so God's open at just an hour, an hour from Victoria Falls to Kasani, Botswana. We've been given two amazing opportunities. I'll say more about that at the end of the meeting. But we were able, given the opportunity to preach at this little church. Gavin found this little church. Um, they have a property in Botswana. He found this little church uh, shortly after he was saved. And uh, they were having their carol service. We were able to go and join them for the carol service. A tiny little room. There's room for expansion, don't worry. But a tiny little room there. Lovely people. And uh, then as well, they allowed me the next day on the Lord's Day to preach. They allowed, open the pulpit for me uh, to, to uh, give a sermon on, on the Lord's Day morning. I think 8.30 in the morning they have a service. Now they had done that because uh, Kasani as well is a very touristy uh, city. With the Chobe River and the beginning of the Chobe National Park. And so they would, they began having services at 8.30 so that tourists, with the idea that tourists could come worship at 8.30, then get on with their thing. And that's the way that they'd started that church years ago. So 8.30 in the morning, there we were having church. How would you like to have church service at 8.30 on a Sunday morning? So carry on if you would, please. Then we were given an amazing opportunity to preach in this church. Now these people uh, were a little, you can tell, a little bit different than us. 
Um, but amazing, Gavin again. There's Gavin. No idea, no clue. Uh, just trying to get us in connection with as many people as possible. We walked in about 11 o'clock. Their services be- run from 9 in the morning till 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Are you listening to me? Hello? <laughs> the next time you complain about being, be, me being long-winded, I'm going to remind you. 9 in the morning till 2 in the afternoon. They had already had a sermon. When we got there about 11 o'clock, they were in the middle of a, of a Bible study. At a congregation like this, there's a man at the front leading the Bible study. From what I can understand, the theme of the day was the Spirit of God and maybe the gifts of the Spirit, something like that. And so he was, he was leading a Bible study on what had just been preached. And it was interactive. So he would ask a question, and anybody with a Bible could give an answer. And there they were. with their. This was different than, than Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, nobody had a Bible. But in Botswana, everybody did. They had notebooks taking notes. One man tried to be a little cheeky with one of his questions, you could tell, and others were opening their Bibles, giving good, solid Bible answers. It was really encouraging. Now, the minister didn't really know us, didn't know anything about us. This gentleman here, um, Pastor Sampson, that's what his name was. I was able to tell him that we just named our son Sampson. But he, he was very gracious. He saw us walked in, he walked up to me, put his arms around me, hugged me. And he said, um, I'll give you 10 minutes. And so 10 or 15 minutes. You know what it's like when you give me 10 minutes. So um, I preached on Matthew 25, the parable of the 10 virgins. They were talking about the spirit of God. I talked about the necessity of having the spirit of God in regards to salvation. Afterwards, he had tears in his eyes. He said, thank you for just preaching the gospel. He said a few weeks ago, somebody came in. Uh, a visitor came in. A Westerner came in. He let them preach. And they got up and lamb blasted and told the congregation how they were heretics and had everything wrong. And he said, I, that's why I'm so, I would have given you more time, but we just had this happen not long ago. Very lovely man. Serious people about the word of God. Probably different on some things. That's okay. But a good connection anyways. We thank the Lord for that. Then the next day, the, uh, our dear brother Gavin was able to uh, get us on a river boat, a river boat, and he gave us a little bit of a cruise of the Chobe River. Now, I remind you, Gavin is a safari guide, and his safari guide license has been expired. It's been two years since he's been there, and but everybody knows him. So uh, nobody wanted to hire hire a boat for and take us on a cruise because they wanted him to do it because he's the he's the world class safari guide. Anyway, somebody got a boat, let him drove just enough to get out of the harbor, then handed the steering wheel over to him. And he, then the guide was taking notes as Gavin was giving us the guide. Really remarkable. So here we are. Everywhere we went, we saw some amazing wildlife. Back up a little bit. So we had two kinds of deer. You had, Mike is an expert on these. What do we have? Kudu and Impala. Which one are these? Impala. Okay, so d- these deer everywhere. Kudu, which makes some amazing biltong, by the way. Some kudu biltong. I just finished the last of it. I'd share it with you, but it's gone. Sorry. So kudu and impala keep going. And these lovely creatures, cuddly creatures, crocodile. And boy, they were everywhere. In fact, when we, when we did a little bit of whitewater rafting, there was an area where there was crocodiles and they wouldn't let us get out. But Gavin thought he'd be funny. And he pulled me out of the boat into the crocodile infested waters. And there we were swimming with the crocodiles and the, and the, and the guide in the raft was saying, get out of the water. So uh, I didn't tell my wife that until just now because she would be a little bit afraid, but. I trust Gavin. He probably could have wrestled that crocodile. Elephants. And we, we saw, literally saw herds and herds of elephants. It was incredible. Beautiful creation. Baboons. Keep going there. Hippopotamus. Everywhere you go. I'm, 
massive creatures, water buffalo. I mean, it was beautiful. And the world famous, the Gavin Blair. I've stored his number in my phone now as the Gavin Blair. And um, wish Marjorie could have been with us, but what a blessing. This man and Marjorie both, just such sweet, sweet servants of the Lord. And I give thanks to the Lord for them. This was the gentleman I was telling you about back in. So we only spent about two days in Botswana, back in Victoria Falls. This is the man I said that we felt most in line with. We met with him on Monday. This was his day off. So you can tell he was resting and relaxing and um, just came from home, opened up the church for us to see. We sat in his office and um, kind enough to meet us. But here was a man faithfully at it. And uh, he was the man who, who had gotten in touch with the, with the Trinitarian Bible Society with Bibles. Good. There's that little chap I was telling you about that just crawled up on, on me one day when I was hanging out there. Good. This is, okay, this is the, this is the Zambezi River, the top of the falls. Keep going. And, um, this is, this is the Zambezi River that winds its way through the gor- gorges. And if, um, the gorgeous gorges. If uh, Gavin was here, he'd tell you more about them. Just exactly, he'd give you all the all the details about it all. So I'm not going to be able to do that, but I'll let him do that when, next time he's here. And this are these are the boys eating fresh mango everywhere. That's another problem, by the way. Um, elephant the, in the dry season, elephant and lions and hyena come down into the city center of Victoria Falls because it's dry, and elephants can smell. Mango, smell water, any fruit trees, and they'll knock walls over, fences over just to get anything that they can. But they didn't get those. Those boys did. This is our adventure on the Zambezi River. We thought we'd give you a little bit of an idea there. And uh, it was a remarkable experience. Look at the rainbow. We saw a double rainbow. Almost, almost always at the falls, you can see a double rainbow. A reminder of God's promises that he wouldn't flood the world again. Keep going. There it is, Victoria Falls. This is one of the seven wonders of the world. A kilometer or a mile. I don't, I get mixed up between kilometers and miles. One of those two long. This is just the beginning of the rainy season. So just the end of the dry season. But at the peak of the rainy season, you can see only white. That's how much water pours over these falls. It, beautiful. We were in awe of God's creation. And this is where David Livingston ended up one day at these falls. In fact, one of his friends brought him there. Um, one of the African uh, chiefs that he'd met from uh, um, Zambia, from the Zambian side, brought him here. This was known by the locals as the the water that thunders, is that right? Or the smoke that thunders, something like that. Um, beautiful. Though. Later, it was named Victoria Falls, of course, in honor of Queen Victoria. Um, everywhere we went, we had new tech. These are gospel according to John's and, of course, our Christmas gospel tracks. And this was everywhere we went, people were, we were trying to give out literature. They were hungry for it. There's our man himself, David Livingston. And uh, there's a lot of mixed emotions today about David Livingston, but make no mistake about it. David Livingston was a missionary and explorer, and his desire was to open up a, a trade route so that the gospel could follow freely. Some people don't, li- don't like Livingston because they say that he, he colonized Africa. He didn't. His, his desire was to bring the gospel. By the way, he gave the last five years of his life to end in the slave trade in Africa. And the local people of Victoria Falls love him. In fact, a few years ago, Mugabe showed up there trying to tear down his statue. And about three or four hundred of the local people stood in front of the statue and said, over our dead body. They had that much respect and reverence for what David Livingston did. And so, so I, I was encouraged by that. Thank you. Anything? 
That's it. Okay, I didn't know. I don't recognize that photograph there. So that, that's it. I want to share a little bit more just at the conclusion of the meeting uh, about the opportunity that exact, exactly what is open to us. And you've seen this is the highlight of our trip, uh, the day-by-day uh, run of our trip. We saw a lot in just a few days. But at the conclusion of the meeting, I'm going to tell you exactly what God is open to us, and I want you to pray about it. But I want to just spend a few moments now uh, in the Word of God, thinking about this one verse. Turn with me again, 1 Corinthians 16, and that one verse. And I, I just want to think for just a moment about this, and I want this to be personal. I want it to be personal to us as a church, but personal to you as an individual. My pastor used to say, nothing is dynamic until it is specific. Did you get that? Nothing is dynamic until it is specific. Until it's personal. And I want you for the next few moments to let this get real personal with you. 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul is on his missionary journeys. You can read about this. He's in Ephesus. You can read about his time in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. He spent three months there and then two years. And God was doing some amazing work at Ephesus. He spent more time at Ephesus than he did just about anywhere else. And he was planning to return to Corinth. But he said, look, God's opened a door. And his response to these people, we find in verse number 9, a great door and effectual is opened unto me and many adversaries. There are many adversaries. I want to talk to you for just a moment about a great door. I believe a great door is open for us in Zimbabwe and Botswana, but I, there are many great doors open to us. And I'm not going to focus on one But I want to talk to you for a moment about this subject of a great door. The Apostle Paul lived his life in a very unique way. When you begin to study the book of Acts, you find that the Apostle Paul had no other guide but the Spirit himself. He would say, I intend to come to you uh, if God be willing. In fact, he said it just a moment ago in verse 7. I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. In the book of Acts, he'd say, "I, I was trying to come to you, but the Spirit wouldn't let me. You remember, you speak like this. He was always speaking like this. The Spirit led me this way. The Spirit wouldn't let me go there. I was minded to come to you, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me. This is the way Paul moved. And uh, this is the way that he was led. And at this particular juncture of his life, he was being led to stay in Ephesus for a time. Now that means that a great door had been opened unto him. I've just written, circled those three words, a great door. And the door was great. Stop for a moment and think about that. The door was great because it was a door that God had opened. Now, there's a lot of doors opened in life, aren't there? And the trouble is knowing the difference between a great door and a door. The word great is literally megas. Massive, a big door, a great door has been opened. The challenge in life, look this way, is figuring out Has God opened this door or have I opened it? Has God opened this door or has Satan opened it? Believe me, Satan's opened a number of doors in my life trying to distract me and get me off of course. But Paul had enough discernment to recognize that this was a great door because God had opened it. Every one of you 
have doors, great doors that God has opened. Every one of us, every single one of us, when we stand before God one day, we'll have to give an account for the doors that God opened to us that either we walked through or we didn't. I don't know about you, but I can look back in my mind's eye and and think about some doors that I should have walked through that I didn't. I can think about some doors that were open to me that I didn't, I didn't know. I couldn't quite tell if that was a door from God or if it was a, if it was a door from me or I, I can remember Trevor and Tommy walking with me. We're looking at a couple of properties several years ago, trying to find a new place for, to worship. And we looked at several buildings. I can remember we turned up at the old Royal Mail sorting office in Cowley. You remember that, Trevor? I think it was something like six acres under roof, something like that, four or six acres under roof. And I thought, what a door. But I don't think it was a door that God opened. It was a door. But I don't think it was a door that God opened. I can remember going to Venezuela in 2007 and falling in love with the country and not wanting to leave, falling in love with the people and the culture. And and I still had another year of university, Bible college left. And I called Pastor Sexton and I said, Pastor Sexton, this is amazing. We just planted three churches this summer. I'm telling you, it's amazing. I want to stay. Can I stay? And he said, son, did God call you to study at Bible college? I said, yes, but this is amazing. We planted three churches and this is a great door. And he said, if God called you to start something, then you probably ought to finish it. So reluctantly, I got on the airplane and came back. It was a great door. It was an open door. I can remember going down to Sherman, uh, Texas, entering, having an internship there with a pastor, Pastor Eddie Johnson, an older gentleman who was ready to retire. He sat me down one day and said, look, young man, he said, I'm, I want to retire in two years. I want some young man to come work with me. For the next two years that I can show them the ropes and hand it over. Church of about 300 people, had a Christian school, just built a brand new gymnasium, completely debt-free, a building that would seat five or 600 people. Unbelievable. And a beautiful log cabin parsonage, or uh, uh, what do you call it, vicarage. And he said, I want that young man to be you. And I can remember thinking, this is an open door. But not every open door is a great door. I can remember hearing about the need in Iraq. My wife and I said, we're going. We're going to go and have the Kurdish commission. We were planning, learning Arabic. We met together with a few men, one of them being Pastor Sexton's sons, and learning Arabic. And Stephen Truell, who was recently martyred, uh, you know that name. We met with him and some others planning everywhere. We had signed up. We were going to Iraq. For, and my mother-in-law probably didn't even know this. And we were going to for the Kurdish commission. And so I can remember the time came for me to talk to Pastor Sexton about it, tell him we were surrendered going. So I organized a meeting, sat down in his office, said, Pastor, my wife and I feel like we should go to Iraq for the Kurdish Commission. And I think I was standing at the time. He said, sit down, son. So I sat down and he said to me, son, you can't be everywhere. So I know that. What's it going to be? England, Texas, Georgia, Venezuela. Iraq now? Which one's it going to be? I said, I don't know. And he said, not every door is an open door from God. I said, well, how do you know? 
He said, you'll know the difference between a great door and a door because a great door rises to the surface. You can't get away from it. You can't escape it. It's not something you planned or organized or pursued. It's something God ordained and therefore it surfaces and surfaces and surfaces and you can't escape it. You can't get away from it. That's how we knew God had opened a great door for us in England. And by faith, we walked through that door 13 years ago last week. I think when I was in Zimbabwe, I think it was that last week, Juliana sent me a text and said, 13 years ago today, we stepped off the plane. God had opened a great door. Now, my question is to you, what great door has God opened to you? You, individually, because you're going to stand before God one day, all of us, and he's going to say, why didn't you walk through that door? I opened a door for you. I gave you an opportunity. What more could I have done? You remember what he said to Israel? I've given you, I've planted you in a in a well-watered vineyard. I, I hedged around you. I've, I've, what more could I have done? I've given you a great door. Now, my question tonight is, what great door has God opened for you? The interesting thing is, the next word is this, a great door and effectual. Now, that word is uh, inner, inner hase, which is literally the word energy. Powerful door. Here's what it means. It's not just a great door. It's a door that when you walk through it, something happens. Now, that's how you know that it's a great door. It's, it's a great door because when you walk through that great door, something powerful happens. <clears throat> a few years ago, you may remember Angel and Penny and little Vinny, some of our Sunday school children, their mother passed away unexpectedly. I heard about it. I was told that in the Kenyan culture, they have a wake from the, the day that someone dies until the burial. They meet together every night and have a church service. And so I said, I'll be there. I got, I got told about this. I wanted to go and support the family. I came late after a Wednesday night meeting, walked into a, a church there in Cowley. And when I walked in, there was a group of Kenyan folks there meeting together. And I walked in. I was the only white face there. And everybody stopped, looked at me. So I'm very sorry. I hope I haven't intruded. I'm, I'm the pastor from the church across the town. Angel, Penny, and Vinny have come to our Sunday school. And they were so kind to me. Welcomed me in. Asked me to preach the next day. Something like seven or eight days before, maybe longer before the funeral. I ended up preaching five or six times. Some of you went with us. Do you remember that? I ended up preaching five or six times before the funeral. And one of the uh, pastors from Kenya said to me, I'm going to preach at a conference in September next month. Will you come with me? Do you know every time somebody asks me that, do you know what comes to my mind? Lord, by your grace, I'll take every opportunity you give me. Every time somebody says, will you preach here? Will you do this? Lord, by your grace, I'll walk through every door you open. By faith, I said, I'll go. Patty went with me. Lorena Kaiser. Lenny, Uncle Lenny. Alex, who else? Tristan. And we headed to Kenya. How do I know that was a great door? I'll tell you why. We walked through that door and something happened that we could have never planned. We ended up at the most prestigious boarding school in all of East Africa. The Alliance High School, it's where the president and vice president of Kenya studied. It's sort of the Oxford 
of Kenya, able to preach to 1,700 boarding school teenage boys. Could have heard a pin drop. We were asked to speak to the girls' school, 1,900 girls. That was the next day. Back at this little tiny conference we were preaching out in the middle of nowhere, we thought we were going for this conference. God brought us there for those teenagers. At the end of that conference, the local chaplain came came by, a little Anglican chaplain, by the he was the one that invited us to preach. And he came by to that conference, and, and the, the, one of the pastors was saying, we're praying that revival will come out of this conference. And the man stood up. Can I say something? This was just after we had been to the boys' school. He said, I don't mean to be presumptuous, he said, but I believe revival has already begun from this conference. And the pastor said, okay. He said, these men and lady just came and preached the gospel a few days ago. And since they've left, my office has been one steady stream of students coming in in tears, seeking the Lord for salvation. The school invited us back to do a three-day gospel mission. COVID happened and it didn't happen. Couldn't happen. But that was a door where something happened. An effectual door. Not every door you walk through, something happens. Not every door you walk through, something powerful or significant happens. COVID happened. We, by faith, walked through a door. We believed it was a door. And something happened. Some of you are here because we walked through a door. And it's an effectual door where something's happening. One last thought. Great door, an effectual door. A great door, an effectual door is opened unto me. I want you to look this way for just a second. Right now, the door is open. But it will not always be open. It will not always be open. God has opened some doors to me that I didn't walk through and now those doors are closed. They're never going to be opened again. God has opened some doors for you. And you didn't walk through them. And now they're closed. And you'll never be able to walk through that door again. So if God opens a door, and it is a great door because God opened it, and an effectual door, then we have to walk through it. I don't know what God is doing in you individually. But I do believe that there are open doors that you've got to walk through. And when you walk through them, only when you walk through them, does, does the door become effectual? Does it become powerful? Does it accomplish something? Only when you walk through it. Paul adds something on the end. He says, and, and, not but, and there are many adversaries. You can be certain if it's a door opened by God and it's an effectual door, you can be sure there'll be opposition. The door of opportunity swings upon the hinges of opposition. Have you heard that before? Straight from the word. A great door and effectual is opened unto me, not but as if it's a problem, but and. You can expect it. If God opens a door, there, uh, there is opposition. There will be adversaries. So what? So what? You expect an easy ride? Are you only going to walk through a door if it's comfortable and easy? Some of you go, how, how are you going to do that? What are you going to do in Zimbabwe? That's on the other side of the world. 
come back all blistered and skin peeling. What do you think you're going to do in Zimbabwe? You're going eat, to be eaten by a hippopotamus or a crocodile. And there are many adversaries. If it's a door opened by God, we walk through it. If it's not opened by God, we'll find soon find out. Do you know when God saved me and called me to ministry, I was trying to figure out where he'd have me train. God is so good. He is so good. I visited a couple of Bible colleges. I was young in the faith, didn't know right didn't know right theology from wrong theology. And I visited a couple of places that if I were to look back now, I would shudder to think where I'd be today had I gone to those places of theology, so-called the- theological training. God is good. Sometimes God honors the fact that you have enough faith to walk through a door. So don't worry. So here's what we say. What if it's the wrong door? Most people live their whole lives in fear. What if it's a wrong? I'm afraid of going through the wrong door. I'm getting stuck in it. Don't you think God is good enough to either shut the door in your face, take you by the hand and lead you out of it? Have a little faith. Have a little faith. What does Hebrew say? But without faith, it is impossible to please him. If you don't walk through doors, it's impossible to please him. So let's walk through doors, great doors, effectual doors, open doors, and let's walk through them while they're open, before they're closed. May the Lord help us. Why don't you pray with me, please? Father, we ask for wisdom. We are fleshly. We get excited about everything. We need discernment. And we need wisdom. And we need wisdom that doesn't come from man, but cometh from above. And so we ask of thee, Lord, grant unto us such wisdom, direction. Give us eyes, spiritual eyes to see open doors. Give us spiritual discernment to recognize the difference between great doors and just doors. May we be drawn by thy spirit like a magnet to great doors. May we by faith walk through them and experience what it is to have an effectual door opened unto us. And Father, I pray that there would be some measure of urgency about us. That we would walk through doors while they're still open. Before they're shut. Help us, we pray. Forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. For the doors that I've missed. The opportunities that have been wasted. Because I lacked faith or lacked vision. Change us, Lord, we pray. Make us more like thy son. Give us eyes like the apostle Paul and a tenderness to thy spirits leading like he had. And help us in it all, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Another thought that was in my mind about this whole matter. When you walk through one door, it means something else suffers. To a degree. 
Corinth was waiting on Paul. Come on, Paul. We're waiting. We need you. We're waiting on you. Paul said, God willing, I'm coming, but not yet. Because God has opened a great door. So don't let that play in your mind. Yeah, but if I do this, then it, you just follow God. Follow God. 